Can we just thank the band as they step off the stage? <laughs> Always such an awesome job. Um, well, good evening. Welcome to the net. Um, like Adam said, we are super excited that you are here tonight. Uh, my name is Kirsten. I am Adam's wife. Um, Yep, there you go. Um, so in case I haven't met you, just so you know who I am, um, I'd love to meet you later. Um, if you're here and you are joining us for the first time, or for the first time in a while, we are in a series right now called Monday through Saturday. Monday through Saturday. And we've been talking through this idea of having an authentic faith that's not just lived out on Sundays, but every single day of the week, where we live, where we work, and where we play, so where we spend our free time. And if you've missed any of the last couple weeks, I really encourage you to go online, go to our website, um, listen to those messages, um, be encouraged by them, um, lots of good stuff there too. Um, and tonight, we're going to be discussing a nice, lighthearted topic. Um, Adam asked if I would speak November 5th, and I was like, I mean, yeah, sure, I can do that. And he's like, okay, cool, you're talking about dying to yourself. And I was like, okay, thank you for that. Um, nice, easy subject matter, really easy to prepare, really easy to deliver, um, not at all. So I'm just going to start by saying I'm up here um, as someone who struggles with this daily, um, on a daily basis, it's a continual process of learning to surrender and die to myself. And so I'm talking to me just as much, if not more, than I'm talking to you. So just want to clear that first. And if you're a non-Christian in the room and you heard me say dying to self, please don't be weirded out by that or think that that's like, something crazy and you're not going to come back anymore after this. Um, I'm not talking about a literal death. I'm talking about a figurative death to ourselves. Um, and if you're a believer in the room and this is the first time that you're hearing about this or you grew up in the church but you're not really familiar with what that means, just stick with me and hopefully um, we'll have some clarity by the end of the night. Um, so before we begin, I just kind of want to start by looking at the flip side um, what does living for yourself mean? If we're supposed to die to ourselves, what does living for ourselves mean? What does that look like? Um, and I think we all kind of have a pretty good idea, whether we realize it or not. Um, it's doing what you want and when you want. Um, doing what you want when you want. We're more, more conscious or most conscious of God on Sundays, but the rest of the week, we're kind of giving in to our own wants, our own desires especially above the desires of God. And it's almost like we have this tunnel vision and we're set on what we want. And so when we're in that tunnel, when we're only looking in this one direction and set on ourselves, it's really hard to see and hear God in that mindset. And there's definitely things that are good and there's definitely things that we can enjoy in the moment. I'm not saying that all those things are bad, um, but they don't last. They're not eternal. Um, and everything that we do in our life, we tend to make it about ourselves. I tend to make it about myself, even with serving sometimes. You know, we want to make sure we get that picture to put it on Instagram or take the Snapchat 
make sure that we get replays of people watching it over and over again. But how does that make us feel in those moments? Is it fulfilling? And I know for me, it does, it leaves a sense of emptiness. Like something is still missing in the living my life the way that I want to day in and day out and doing what I want to do every single day. And maybe you have a similar feeling, and that's because we're created to live for something else. We were not created to live for ourselves. We were created to live for something else and for somebody else. So I'm going to start in Luke chapter 9. It'll be up on the screen, but if you want to go there, um, it's in the New Testament towards the beginning. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. And this is Jesus talking. And he says to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. Take up your cross daily, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So we look at those verses and we're like, what the heck is Jesus talking about? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Lose your life to save it. That seems backwards. But it's in this strange paradox of dying to ourselves that Jesus says we find life. Die to yourself. Die to your desires. Die to your wants. Die to what you want to do in that moment. And then you'll live for him. When we move out of the way, when we get our own desires and our own wants out of the way, he's there. He's waiting. He's ready. He hasn't left. He's there. And that's what living really is. But it's really hard for Jesus to work in us and through us when our own selfish desires are first. They're blocking what he wants to do in us. So when we say die to ourself, it's making sure that what we want isn't first and checking our heart against the heart of Jesus. So then what does it look like to die to yourself? Where's an example of that? And the perfect example, of course, that we can find is in Jesus. There is really only one perfect example of this because all of us are human right? So this is going to be a struggle for everyone. So we're going to spend a lot of time tonight looking at Philippians chapter 2. So if you want to flip there, we're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. Again, this will be up on the screen. Um, and the whole book of Philippians, if you like to like nerd out on this kind of stuff, is about the pursuit of Christ-likeness, becoming more like Christ, becoming more like Jesus. So if that's something that you want to dive into further, I really encourage you to go through and read that whole book. It's not very long. It's just a few chapters. But we're going to sit in Philippians chapter 2, and I'm going to look at quite a few verses tonight, but we're just going to start in verses 1 through 4. So Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, and this is Paul writing he says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any, share, any common sharing in the spirit, 
if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you the interests of others. So when we look at just those first four verses, we see what it means to die to ourselves. The first thing that Paul says is be like-minded. Be like-minded. Have the same love and be unified in spirit. Because when we as a body of believers are unified and each of us is dying to ourselves on a daily basis, it can propel the kingdom forward when each of us is doing what we're supposed to be doing and putting others ahead of ourselves. Be like-minded. Second, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So check your heart. What's your motivation for doing what you're doing? Is it for you? Is it for God? Is it for the person next to you? What's your motivation for doing what you're doing? Because if it's selfish, that should be a pause for us. That should be a red flag for us. And then third, in humility, value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. And this is very countercultural to the world that we live in, right? This goes backwards to everything that we're shown and taught in the world around us. Value someone else above myself. So are we thinking of ourselves first, or are we thinking of others first in everything that we're doing? And I know these things are hard. Like I said, this is something that's a daily struggle for me, really difficult, because our first human instinct is look out for me, myself. Like I said, that's what our culture teaches us, too. What I want to do is most important to me, but we need to bring other people into the equation and ask ourselves the motivation for our decisions. What's my motivation for how I'm spending my money? What's my motivation for how I'm spending my time? What is my motivation for the words that are coming out of my mouth in conversations? Or maybe the words that are not coming out of my mouth because sometimes there are things that need to be said and we don't say them because they're uncomfortable or we don't want to open up a can of worms or whatever it is. What is my motivation for the posts that I'm making on social media? The motivation for the things that I say yes to and the things that I say no to. Because it's in these small and everyday decisions, what may seem trivial to us can have a big effect on other people. So are we thinking of others when we make those decisions? And are we looking to God when we make those decisions? Or are we thinking of ourselves above other people? And we, like I said, have the ultimate example of a person who came and died to self. So we're going to go back to Philippians, same chapter, chapter 2, and go a little bit further into those verses. Now we're going to look at 5 through 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. 
And Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus, in his very nature, is God. He's God. And he's also man. So this guy that's also fully God is walking around the earth with us as humans. He was sitting up in heaven with God the Father, with angels singing praises all around him, but now he's here in this broken and messed up world. And while he's here, we see in these verses that he did not use the fact that he is God to his advantage. He didn't use that to his advantage. So every miracle that he did, every healing that he performed, the people that he spent time with and built relationships with, the ones that he walked beside every single day, anything Jesus did that utilized the power of God was to glorify the Father and not to advance himself. Anything that Jesus did, and there was a lot in those three years of ministry, anything that he did that utilized the power of God was to glorify the Father and not to advance himself. And unfortunately, most of the things that we do are to advance ourselves. The decisions that I'm making at school or in my workplace or even here at church, I want to make myself look good. Every post that we make, we're looking for affirmation and the advancement of me myself but not one thing Jesus ever did was to push himself forward but to glorify God and push the kingdom forward everything he did pushed the kingdom forward because it's about God right it's about God and it's not about us and I think we can agree with that here in this moment but actually living it out is really hard because we have this natural human instinct to make it about us. And we walk around like we're somebody. I walk around like I'm somebody. I deserve this. I earned that. I worked harder than that person. That promotion should have been mine. We feel like there's something that we have to prove based on our accomplishments. But the truth of the matter is, is that there's only ever been one somebody, and his name is Jesus. That's it. And though he was fully God, he took the nature of what? A servant. Devoted, helpful, selfless, looking out for others before himself. And beyond that, and this is the part that I get emotional every time, and I'm pregnant, so I'm going to try to keep it together. But when we read these verses, we see he humbled himself, and was obedient to the Father's plan to the point of death on a cross. To the point of death. 
And sometimes I think we can skip over that and be like, yeah, but he's Jesus. Like, we knew he was going to do the right thing. Like, he's the Lord. He's going to do it anyway. Like, he's Jesus. And that's true. But don't forget the human part. Fully God and fully man. And we see that in the garden when, before he was arrested, when he was wrestling. And Adam talked about this a little bit the last time we were here together. He was so distressed and so just under so much anxiety that he was sweating blood, sweating blood, because he was in so much distress. And he said to God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, but your will be done. He knew what was coming, and he didn't want to do it. He didn't want to face it. None of us would. If there's any other way, but your will be done. And how many times have I looked at God and said, if there's any other way, and he says no, I say, okay, I'm going to go over here then. How many times have we done that and said, God, if there's any other way, and then go make our own way, instead of being like, okay, your will be done. I know you're coming with me in this. Dying to ourselves, because going our own way is not obedience. It's not living our faith Monday through Saturday, and it's not dying to ourselves. Jesus was obedient to the point of death on a cross, not a figurative death, like the one that we're talking about when we talk about dying to ourselves, but literal death. He was beaten, bruised, humiliated, disrespected. He was unrecognizable. He stopped breathing. His brain stopped working. His heart literally stopped beating death for you and for me. And we, and again, I'm including myself, we think we're somebody. We think we're owed something. But the truth is, if Jesus never does anything for us ever again, we still owe him everything. Everything. Sunday is not enough. Let's keep going and look at verses 9 through 11. Paul continues and he says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. I'm going to pause for a second. I'm going to use my Christian university education here. My degree. I knew it would come in handy someday. When you see the word therefore, you need to pause. Any kind of transition word, but, and, so, then, therefore, pause and look at what's ahead of it, what was before, before it, and that's what we just read. So ask yourself, what is therefore, therefore? Get it? Okay. Okay. So in the verses that we just read, the therefore is referring to Jesus humbling himself and being obedient. Okay? So because of Jesus' obedience, God exalted him to the highest place. 
even though Jesus was subjected to the lowest shame, the most disgrace, he is now seated at the right hand of God and exalted to the highest glory. And please don't misunderstand me when I say this because God is not performance-based. That's not how he works, okay? His love for you does not change no matter what you do. So even if you don't believe that, in this moment here, say it to yourself, God's love for me does not change no matter what I do. But he does honor obedience. That doesn't mean you can just go and do whatever you want. He honors obedience, which includes humbling yourself. Christ took on the nature of a servant, so don't be unwilling to humble yourself. He could not have gone any lower than the cross. There's no place where he could have been more disgraced and more degraded. So then what does that mean for us? Because we can't attain that. He's perfect. We can't attain that. But we can be willing. So be willing to go to the lowest place, to take on the lowest place. Because if serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. If serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. And we all like recognition, right? In some way or another. Maybe some of us have a desire to to speak, maybe up here at the net or another stage, or maybe not like a literal stage, but you want some sort of leadership role. We want to lead a team or take charge on a project. So whatever that is, some of us don't like the spotlight, but we still want to be acknowledged and affirmed in some way, which in itself is not necessarily bad. Affirmation is okay. That's a good thing. It's okay to be encouraged. But it becomes a problem when we want the resurrection without the crucifixion. That's when it becomes a problem. When we want the exalted place without being willing to lower ourselves to the point of servant and do whatever we can to meet the needs of others. We can't have that exalted place without being willing to help and meet the needs of others. We have to be obedient to what Jesus came and taught. And I'm going to tell you something, and some of you might hate me for this, and that's fine. I don't really care. But um, titles mean nothing. They mean nothing. So the credentials, the degree, you know, that's all earthly. That's all stays here. So small group leader, pastor, CEO, executive, doctor, missionary, whatever it is, the one with the servant's heart is a leader. The one with the servant's heart is a leader. And maybe you're sitting there tonight and you're like, that's fine because I don't really want to be a leader. Joke's on you, Kirsten, because I don't want to do that anyway. Well, guess what? I don't either. I don't want to be a leader either. Not every day. I never in a million years would have put myself here. Never. And sometimes I just don't want to. Sometimes I want to be a hermit. I like my house. I like my pajamas. I like my slippers. I could be by myself all day and be totally fine. I want to be a hermit. 
but we're all called to be leaders, okay? So if I'm not off the hook, you're not off the hook. We may not be a leader of a ministry or a group, manager at work. You might not be a boss or whatever, but we are all called to lead people to Jesus. That's the truth. And in order to do that, we have to die to ourselves and move past our own desires and levels of comfort. I have to take off my slippers, put on real shoes, walk out of the house, even when it's raining, and do what God has asked me to do. Because when we do that, it allows space for God to do incredible things through us. And I'm going to go back to the hermit thing for a second. <clears throat> because I'm on this stage tonight and not Adam. And I can relate to some of you in this room that he can't. Because Adam, if you don't know him, is an extrovert. Okay? Epitome of one. He should be on a poster. Okay? His goal at every net is to talk to every single person in this room. I am not like that, okay? I love all of you, but that sounds exhausting to me. It makes me wanna crawl in a hole, okay? I'm an introvert. We have different personalities. And so when you hear the go and lead people to Jesus, you're like, yeah, but I'm shy. I'm introverted. That's okay, I am too. So the way that you lead people to Jesus is going to look different from the way that someone like Adam leads people to Jesus. And that's something that I had to wrestle with for a long time. I had to wrestle with that. Because for him, he can talk to everyone in this room and feel energized. For me, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to one or two or three. If I'm feeling really ambitious, maybe four, okay? So you can have those conversations, and they're going to look different. They might go a little bit deeper. They might take a different direction, okay? So don't worry about what the extroverts of the world are doing. Just be you. It's okay that you're a little more reserved. It's okay. Be you and be obedient to what God has asked you to do and who God has created you to be. Because I know it's a lot more comfortable to live for ourselves. It's a lot easier to say, you know what, I don't want to go to small group tonight. I don't want to have that tough conversation with that person. Like, that's really going to suck. I know how it's going to end, and I just don't want to do it. I don't want to go to the net tonight. I'm at home again. I'm in my slippers. It's raining outside. Don't really want to do it. I don't want to go talk to that person that's sitting alone and looks upset. I'm in the middle of this awesome book. The chapter is really good. I don't want to put it down. And I'll be honest and just say I've had every single one of those things run through my head. And there's been times when I have given in to what I want over what God has asked of me. But then it's, it's sad because that becomes a missed opportunity. I don't get that back. Sometimes those things are easier. They are more comfortable. I know that, but they're not leading people to Jesus. It's temporary. It's not eternal. I'm going to jump to Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Again, this is Paul writing, and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So set your minds on things above, the eternal things, not the things that are here right now. For we died, this is the figurative death, and our life is now with Christ. And because he died the literal death, we can be raised with him. The right things have to die so that the right things can live. The right things have to die so that the right things can live. So we need to let go of selfishness, greed, power, prestige, self-preservation. And that in turn gives things to, gives um, life to things like community, generosity, compassion, mercy, brotherhood, sisterhood, kindness, and love. Those first things I listed, they have to die. Because otherwise, it, this is the scary part. If we don't let those things die, something else will. If we don't let those things in ourselves die, the gospel will die in the toxic soil of ourselves. If we don't let them die, the gospel will die. It's going to get choked out, whether that's our intention or not. So then where do we go from here? We have this knowledge. We know what it means to die to ourselves. Now what do we do? How do we do it? And I'm going to invite the band up as I start to close. But I think there's two things that we can do to really die to ourselves on a daily basis. The first thing is to find your worth in God. Find your worth in God. I know that there's this fear in dying to self. We fear that we might lose ourselves in the process. But then we have to ask, where do we find our worth? Because if we allow God to shape and define our worth and who we are, we're free to empty ourselves out to other people without the fear of losing ourselves. When we allow God to define who we are, we can empty ourselves out knowing he's still there, he's going to be there, he hasn't changed, and so my value and my worth hasn't changed. We have to come to this place of knowing deep down that my value comes not from what I bring to the table, not from what I have to offer, but from the one who brought me there in the first place. That's where my value comes. God willingly gave up that which he loved the most, his son, so that I could be his, so that you could be his. So it's in that place of God's self-sacrifice that we can find our true value. And we can look at his self-sacrificing heart and let that be the foundation for our self-sacrificing heart. So find your worth in God. The second thing is sacrifice yourself for God. And we can do this in two different ways. We can sacrifice in two different ways. The first is surrender spontaneously. 
surrender spontaneously. Every day we encounter these small, unexpected invitations to surrender. But our mistake comes when we see these as unimportant. But it's in these daily invitations to deny ourselves and surrender our wants that prepare us for the larger risks and invitations from God in the future. If we surrender in the small things, it'll open up for the bigger things. An example of this, um, Adam and I have a bad habit of going out to eat a lot, um, too much, it's where all our money goes, and um, we were at El Rodeo by our house in Whitestown, and we're sitting there, we had ordered our food, and I noticed out of the corner of my eye, not in the booth right across from us, but kind of behind us, there was this older lady there. She was sitting by herself. It looked like she'd already eaten. She had this blue margarita thing, or I don't know what it was, um, sipping on it. And I noticed her, and I couldn't stop noticing her. Like, I wasn't staring at her. I wasn't being weird. But I was like, there's something off. And then I saw that she was crying. And I don't know, like, what it was, but I just could not stop thinking about her. I couldn't stop thinking about her. I don't know if she reminded me of my grandma, and that's why. But I was like, Adam, that lady's crying. And he was like, okay. I was like, I feel like I need to go talk to her. And he was like, well, then go do it. You know, extrovert, introvert. And so I'm like... I can't go talk to her. And at this point, I was maybe like eight weeks pregnant, so like emotions off the rails. And I was like, if I go over there and talk to her, I'm going to fall apart. Like, I don't know if I can do it. So I kind of chickened out a little bit, I'll be honest. And I was like, can you go first? Like, if you go talk to her, like, I'll follow you. And he did, because, you know, he's Adam. And so we went over there, and like, can we sit down for a second? She was like, yes. You could tell she was kind of like, what's going on? But it's fine. Um, and we just got into this conversation with her and found out that, yes, indeed, she was sad. She was legitimately crying. Um, she was thinking about a divorce that happened a long time ago. And she was thinking about um, her three grown children who she loves and they love her and she has a relationship with, but they live far away, so she doesn't really get to see them very much. And we learned that um, she didn't live in the area. She lived kind of far away, and she drove to that particular restaurant because she didn't want to run into people and that see that she was drinking by herself. And we learned that she attends church um, but wasn't really plugged in. She had a faith but wasn't super connected. And so in that maybe five, ten-minute conversation, we got to encourage her and just tell her, you know, we hope you find a community. We have people that we can help you connect with too if you wanted to come back to this area but find two or three people that you can do life with or a small group and I don't know what happened after that conversation like I said it was five ten minutes she was done eating and she ended up leaving and we had our food but I know in that moment I could not shake that feeling of just go talk to her that is what the surrender spontaneously looks like. So will you pause to have that conversation with a neighbor or a classmate 
or I know it's scary, but a complete stranger. Honestly, the thing about the stranger is you might not ever see them again. So if they say no, you can't sit here, like it's fine. Everyone moves on. But you did what you're supposed to do. Will you set aside your to-do list to sit with a friend through their pain? Will you make time to buy dinner for the homeless man that you just passed as you're driving home? Or stop and pick up a gift card for the family that you know is struggling financially and just send it in the mail. It doesn't have to be some big, grand thing, but it's in these moments and in these unplanned conversations that we're given the opportunity to put others above ourselves and glorify Jesus and move the kingdom of God forward. So pay attention and look for them because they're important no matter how small they may seem in the moment. We see God move through repeated surrender of ourselves. Repeated surrender. The second way we can sacrifice for God is to sacrifice strategically. We have these daily unexpected things, but there's also ways we can strategically place ourselves in situations that cause us to grow. And again, to further the kingdom of God on earth. These are the things that are planned into our schedule. They're in our week. They're on our calendar. So will you sacrifice sleep in order to gather with your community before a busy day or after a busy day in the evening? This could be a small group or a, people, a group of people getting together to intentionally do life. Will you give up your time to commit to mentoring a student in your community or meet with that classmate that you don't know super well, but you're just gonna give yourself a pep talk, at least that's what I have to do, and go up to them, be like, hey, you wanna go get coffee sometime, even if it's not right now, let's find a day we can meet and just get to know them, get to know their story, get to know their life. Will you schedule time in your week to serve with a ministry that's doing incredible work in your town? I know here at Connection Point, if you're a member here or you attend here, there's tons of opportunities. Christmas is coming. Adopt-a-family is in full swing. Go sign up. Go sacrifice some of your time or your resources to help out a family in need. Everyone's busy around Christmas, I know but you can still sacrifice a little bit of your time. And then most importantly, will you be intentional with your schedule so that you can spend time with God? Because if you're not spending time with God, that's who this is for anyways, right? You need to schedule time to spend with him as well. And these sacrifices, they're not meant to be legalistic. They're not meant to be rules to follow, but they're an invitation to freedom as they guide us into a deeper surrender to Christ and his purposes instead of our own. So let go of yourself and your expectations and trust God to meet you. Let go of the control of your story and allow him to invite you into part of a greater story. And you'll find that it's worth it. We have a new 
lead pastor here at this church, John, he spoke for the very first time this morning in front of our congregation, and he talked about how God does exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or imagine, and that is true. I've seen it. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in other people's lives, but we have to move out of the way in order to get the exceedingly and abundantly more. He's not going to give us that when we're standing in the way with our own wants. We're not placed on this earth only to strive for happiness, and our life is not meant to be lived for ourselves. We need to see our places that we go every day, our communities, our neighborhoods, our families that we're around as mission fields every single day of the week, Monday through Saturday and not just on Sunday. And as followers of Jesus, we know, we know that our eternity is secure. We can rest and have peace in that. But we must be willing to sacrifice anything and everything to move the kingdom forward with his grace and his love. We have to stop living for ourselves and stop claiming our lives as our own, laying our wants down and see the lives around us, the lives of others in light of eternity. Because in the end, when all is said and done, that's the only thing that matters.